Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And I got a bag of random comics. Let's grab one and see what it is. Is it more Eternals? Elias, are we talking about more Eternals? Excelsior. That yes. does not answer my question. Um, too bad. <laughs> <sighs> we are going to be doing the probably strangest episode of all of these Eternals runs just because just by virtue of it being I don't even know how to describe it. it's just a grab bag we, we just we've reached that point both in Eternals continuity and just this reading order continuity that we wanted to see if we had missed any issues that might have had you know one-off adventure something with the Eternals that wasn't considered a uh, I guess, core enough to show up on the Wikipedia list I originally grabbed this from, um, but not tangential enough that Marvel Wiki thinks the Eternals show up in an issue where they are mentioned off-panel in the letters column. Really? There was a letters column one? I'm almost certain, because I scoured some of these issues, and I'm like, where the hell are the Eternals in this issue? It just says mentioned. I'm like, I want to see where it's mentioned. And they were not mentioned anywhere. <laughs> and but the most frustrating thing, too, is because of the, you know, the retcon with Star Fox and all the Jim Starlin characters and Thanos, Thanos, he, if he's mentioned, I think the Eternals get a credit on uh, the Marvel Wiki. That makes sense. It's they, frustrating. You, they're, you know, when they're calling like uh, Thanos the Mad Titan, that's all Eternal stuff. Yeah. Although Still. it's crazy. He hasn't shown up once in any Eternals comics we've read so far. Um, he showed up, he showed up in those what if comics, I think. I yes, think. I think you're right. But yeah, just like, um, considering how much that connection, how important that connection is now, it's weird. He hasn't shown up at all. And we've been, we've read like 40 years of comics. Yeah. So for this, the important issues that we're, that we're going to cover that we kind of read, uh, that are more or less chronological at this point, uh, are, and you're going to laugh when you hear these names. Hulk Volume 2, number 49, Thor the Deviant Saga, 1 through 5, Avengers number 4, from September of 2018, The Eternals Forever One-Shot from 2021, and Symbiote Spider-Man Crossroads, numbers 4 and 5. <laughs> uh, and we're also going to be touching on a few others, just to give a little bit of a, a peek. We're going to look at one of the ones we missed, the Silver Surfer Annual number 1, the very first Silver Surfer annual from 1978. We're going to look at some other ones, but I want to save that as a, a reveal, I guess, even though we teased it at the end of the last episode, all the things we might cover. Yeah, I, and there are other random stuff. This was just like, so the narrative of Eternals thus far has been from the 70s. Uh, no, yeah, it started in the mid 70s through the 80s. It was kind of like one thing repeated variations on a theme, right? Mm hmm. And then we hit the 90s and, like, continuity goes out the window. The Eternals show up. They get rebooted into being, like, more generic superheroes for a while. We put them in a serial killer story. Um, I'm trying to remember what else we did with them. That was so weird in the 90s. Um, there was the serial killer story. Then there was another serial killer story, but with a different <laughs> serial killer. I think, no, and then the Avengers. It was mostly Avengers adjacent because both Gilgamesh and Cersei were so interlocked there again i keep bringing this up cersei was an avenger for a hundred issues yeah i yeah 
that's um it's crazy that her being uh, associated with the Eternals now again like has lowered her profile. Right? By the by the 90s like that's when we're getting all the retcons and the these two kids that turned into one kid actually was always one kid who turned into two kids. It just like they completely go off the rails in uh the 90s. And then pretty much since the 90s, it's just like a series of reboots where someone's like, is this Eternals good? And the answer mm-hmm. is, yeah, kind of sometimes, but it never has legs and then it falls apart. And between the two, the Neil Gaiman stuff and um, the Kieran Gillen stuff that we're going to get into next, like, yeah, the Eternals were a shadow of a memory of a faded IP. Yeah, there was that, uh, there was the Charles Knauf, uh, Charles and Daniel Knauf series which was just the eternal the game and stuff continued that we covered last time but yeah that was i mean that was fine yeah that was fine it's fine um i in my head i just uh i i mushed it together with the game and run yeah it's really funny that they they kept trying to make eternals work can't work um you know they had the new breed yeah, and... That didn't go anywhere. The worst thing you could do to a comics character is you keep on announcing their new direction, and then you just, like, don't until they show up ten years later and you change the direction once again. Yeah. Yeah, at least they Fastest stuck way. with what Neil Gaiman and John Romero Jr. set up uh, in this Yeah, series. well, those guys have prestige and clout. And they turned in a pretty decent story, despite all of its many, many failings. Yeah, um, uh, with, uh, again, the, the high, the high concept of them forgetting everything is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, you know what? I, I do get behind this idea. That was, that was the smart move. Which is still why it's crazy to me that the movie didn't take, pick that up. That, that would have been, they've never done a movie like that in the MCU. No, they haven't. And it's, it's a fun sci-fi idea. All these people like, uh, are living out shadows of their former lives, but they, Forget who they are. That's all cool. Mm-hmm. So <sighs> let's get let's get moving. We're if you couldn't tell, we're we're stalling a little bit because. Uh, do you want to talk about Hulk? I don't particularly want to talk about Hulk. No, I want to talk about Hulk. Uh, like this batch of comics was all pretty interesting to me. Okay, so first off, we got to um talk about uh you have all the credits the uh the creators credited right? Yes. So for Hulk number forty nine. It was written by Jeff Parker, illustrated by Elena Casagrande, colored by David Curiel, and lettered by Ed Dukeshire. Um, so this, I would say, is kind of the the end of Jeff Parker's big Marvel run. How familiar are you with Jeff Parker in general and his Marvel stuff specifically? His Marvel stuff, very little. Um, I think I've read some of his stuff at Valiant. Yeah, uh, he's had some good Valiant stuff. Yeah, uh, which is a shame that Valiant has just died the ip farm life Oof, um, yeah in the darkest possible way yeah but i know like i know of jeff parker i've i've t- interacted with his comics i know he did the future quest the johnny quest thing over at at dc i i miss all those books actually <laughs> yeah that was that was a fun series and, the, and that was particularly a good one uh jeff parker also has a good um a bond comic t- that he wrote oh yeah there's a couple of a couple of good runs on the james bond comics and parker's got one and um, I really liked, he had a Flash Gordon comic also that was really good. Mm. And then um, one of my favorite cheat things he did was he did uh, that, that Batman 67. Mm. 77? Mm-hmm. Do I have the year wrong? The 66, 
66. 66. The comic that was the continuation of the Adam West show. And and he does a bunch of other Batman villains in like the style of the Adam West show. It's a delight. That's, I think, where I know him best from. Yeah. Um, but so and by 2012, when this is coming out and... Oh, this is my comic shop days. Also the end of that. Um, Jeff Parker is like cleaning up for people. There'll be a run and some high profile creator will really whiff it. And then Jeff Parker will come in to make it into something. They did this over and over and over again. And this Hulk run was like really dire how bad it was. Yeah, I've only heard of it told in hushed whispers of, oh my God, this thing. Red Hulk. Yeah, so this is the run of Hulk, and we're talking about issue 49, so it's been, you know, years into this run of Hulk, where um, it's about Red Hulk, who is like the Hulk, but Red, and a lot of the comics were about how Red Hulk is, like, stronger than the other Hulk, and he would just do crazier things. Uh, he He picks up Mjolnir because his strength can defy even the enchantment of Zeus. That's Zeus, what I say, Odin. Sure, whatever. These are, yeah, it's all sure whatever. And he like breaks the silver surfer surfboard. He just does all these oh, impossible God. things to prove how tough he is. And fans correctly guessed the identity of Red Hulk, as was written in the comic, was supposed to be Rick Jones. But oh. disappointed that the uh, twist had been undermined. Uh, no. Writer no. Jeff Loeb just decided to swerve. And the character he had like foreshadowed a little bit and like done any writing about, he was like, ah, who cares about that? It's all about the twist. I hate it when they do that. Yeah, it's terrible when they do that. Um, and and Red Hulk was instead revealed to be Thaddeus Ross, which now I will say I have read interesting stories about, like turning Thaddeus Ross, the nemesis of the Hulk, into the new Hulk. That's not a terrible idea. No, at least they pick someone who maybe the story it didn't make sense in, but for as a character beat would be very interesting. Yeah, and the, he read Thaddeus Ross Red Hulk did a couple of interesting things after this run. So at this point, I feel like um, Jeff Parker is just kind of spinning his wheels and um, trying to have like a nice old time. Mm-hmm. But like, it, we're really far gone into this Red Hulk nonsense. Yeah, yeah. I And the issue itself is mostly a fist fight between Red Hulk and, and the Eternals, specifically Icarus. Um they're pretty incidental there's there's like some motions at the eternals watching the hulk to see what he's going to do but as you could tell from the fact that we're only covering one issue i don't think that ever comes back in any meaningful way no my biggest so my biggest eternals disappointment with this issue was that Zurus was here, as if Zurus is like a character God. that we're supposed to care about. Right. And um, we, we'll touch upon this again, but just like the theme of using Zurus as a stand-in for the Eternals, like really shows how disinterested everyone is in writing the Eternals. They just treat him like Zeus or Odin or the other, you know, paternal figure of the gods. No, He's it doesn't there, have to be gods. He's or stern. Professor X or yeah. uh, Mr. Fantastic. Just like the white patriarch figure who's like the father knows best guy. Yeah, which stinks because I did actually like his kind of bumbling uh, dog petting version that we had been getting. Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. It was an interesting dynamic. You're pointing it out, and I'm seeing what you're talking. Like it didn't uh, it didn't sing for me on the page, but I kind of hear what you're talking about. Yeah, it w- it was more interesting, even if it wasn't always done well. Yeah, had potential. Yeah. I don't have much more to say other than this is fun. It's early Elena Casagrande art, which uh, she gets significantly better. 
um, until she gets and win. Did she win an Eisner for her work on Black Widow, or did the book just win it? Um, I think she would have won it that either way, because that's who they would have given it to if the book won. Yeah, so she's so, a winner. Her her art on that has really sings. Here it's a little scratchy. It's unrecognizable. Yeah. It it um yeah it it's wow it looks like such a younger person's art and it really looks like the uh the manga influenced art of the early two thousands and she kind of uh, steps away from that. Yeah, and it's kind of like trying to emulate that cross hatching style of traditional art, but it's I think it's it's drawn digitally. So, like, a lot of these, the people look dirty instead of kind of shadowed and shaded. Yeah, that's that's the art style. I, I think uh, she's also right, drawing to the art style that's been in the book so far. Because, like, you've seen yeah. all the famous stupid issues of Red Hulk. God, when I there's have. just, like, steam coming off of him and he's uh, smashing all the Avengers into the street and everything. Hulk strongest there is. Uh, one day, when, when we read all the Al Ewing stuff and we get up to... Um, when they take the Hulk powers away from Thaddeus Rosk and give them to General Maverick, that's when Red Hulk gets awesome. Okay. General Maverick is the is the best. Okay. I, I will have to experience that when we get there. Isn't that so promising, though? You know that there's, like, a crazy weird swerve with Red Hulk that's good. Yeah. I, dang it. I don't want that, because then I have to read it. Yeah, well, and the unfortunate thing is, like, in every cartoon they ever make, it's going to be Thaddeus Rosk and not General Maverick. Yeah. But I really hope they bring him back. He's got a great mustache. General Maverick is such a good name, too. Yeah. That's such a good name. They they really went there. He he keeps his mustache when he hulks out. That's the, thing, that's the difference between him and other hulks. Mm-hmm. Is his mustache doesn't get absorbed into his Hulk face. <laughs> it just gets Hulk-proportioned mustache. I love him. Anyway... Um, the next books we looked at were, uh, this Deviant Saga nonsense from 2012 also. Yeah. It's very, uh, sorry, I'm modifying the credits because I, I looked through, I'm like, oh, I missed one. Um, the, so Thor the Deviant Saga is technically a sequel to Loki by the art, the author Rob Roddy, Roddy. I don't know anything about that one, though. Me neither. Oh, right. That was uh, Asad Ribic's first Marvel credit, I think, from 2005. Oh, well, I can definitely picture the Asad Ribic artwork. It's very horny. <laughs> His stuff is always, like, low-key horny. Uh, or, like, high-key. But in that one, there's just, like, a lot of Asgardians, like, bound up and compromised in naked positions. So what you're saying is it's like that Wolverine beer cover. That he did. Uh, uh, that Wolverine beer cover is the most delightful time anyone's ever snuck weird sex art into their comic. <laughs> so do you do you have any backstory for this? No, I, I this was the one that I kind of um, had the the least on. I think I think that this was probably demanded because they were going. Here's how. Here's what I gathered from my very brief uh, dabbling in this is that um, it's. 2012, that's the year of the first Avengers movie, the year after the first Thor movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're just trying to publish, a, they're trying to flood the market with miniseries based on whoever's in the movie theaters at the time, um, yep. which was not a very successful strategy. And they kind of eased off of that after a while. Yeah. But so I think what they were doing was they were just mining through 
Thor stories to find like what were the classic ones that they could retell or kind of like touch back upon or do like an out of continuity reboot version of or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they just kept on putting up book after book. And that original Deviant Saga is like a pretty remembered Thor arc by people who grew up with it. That it is. So, I mean, what do I, what to make of this? What to make of this book? Uh, actually, let me let me do the credits and then we can kind of get into it. Because this, I think, is the meat of most of what we're we're going to be talking about for this era before Kieran Gillen. Uh, um, so mm-hmm. I'm curious what you have to say now. I thought this was kind of a ah. We'll talk about it in a second. We'll Hit talk me about with your it. credits. So it was written by uh, Rob Rohde. Uh It was penciled by Steven Segova. Uh, and it was inked issues one through three by Jason Paz uh, and Jeff Hewitt joined on issue three. Uh, and then Steven Segova did four through five. Uh, it was colored by Andy Troy throughout with assistance from Will Quintana on uh, issues three and five. And it was all lettered by Jeff Eckleberry. Great name. So, yeah, great name. So I was actually just shocked by how many callbacks the Deviant Saga had. And also how it kind of cleared up some of the weird questions I had around what Neil Gaiman had done. Um, good. I was hoping you would say that. Hit me. <laughs> like oh, what? You, you were not. You were not. <laughs> I found this to be. So I was bummed that the. Um, I guess I, I didn't like the characterization of the deviants in this. Oh yeah, no, it it, it sucks. And um, There's and no that crow. really no crow. It's all carcass and ransack. And Areshkigal. Can't forget Areshkigal. You say that, but look at what I just did. <laughs> and um, and they're they're very much framed as the antagonists of this. And yeah. I, they kind of they I like the deviants because they're just like dopey losers who got bullied throughout all of history, and they never can win or catch a break. And that's also why they were so well matched with the X Men in uh, Judgment Day, because mm-hmm. that's the, right. That's just like another group of uh, super powered beings who just can't catch a break. You're right. And so this comic just felt like punching down the whole time. I would like it really just felt like Thor and his pals are bullying these poor deviants. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I I felt that the whole time. It it kind of sucked, but I appreciated the the. I guess the from the fan point of view, even if I thought some of it was like, all right, they're just they're just trying to. Someone was mad that Neil Gaiman decided that their favorite parts didn't matter, which, <laughs> you know, we were mad that some of our favorite parts didn't matter to to him. Uh, sure, that's yeah, that's part of uh, that's part of being a fan of this shit. Yeah, but like they brought back, they brought back Viraco, they brought back. <laughs> But they brought back Carcass and Ransack. They were both dead. They were both very dead. At least Carcass was. I think Ransack was was running around with uh, Crow's Commandos. Um, is this when is this happening in continuity? Are in continuity, about- it's happening before Fear itself, which I don't remember when that is. Twenty fourteen? Is that right? No. Um, Fear itself. I googled it and and got a. Uh, NBC series, apparently. Ooh, that doesn't sound not, good. Not related to it. Uh, 2011. Sure 2011, okay. Okay, so this takes place before Fear Itself, probably because it's, you know, Thor-related and their Thor stuff popping up. Um, but it's after the uh, Neil Gaiman Eternal stuff, because they keep referencing Sprite's rewriting of reality. Oh, right, that's the explanation for how Ransack and Carcass are back. Because Sprite rewrote reality. Entirely using the power of the dreaming celestial, um, he restored a whole bunch of stuff. That's the explanation for like 
why some of the continuity things that were happening no longer matter. It's like, whatever, we've smoothed it away by literally waving our hands. Um, I buy it. Uh, Sprite's a little stinker, and the Dreaming Celestial can do anything. Put those two together. Yep, put them together. And so that's where the existence of the resurrection machines come from, uh, and they're resurrecting people... Or specifically, they're resurrecting all of the Eternals. You know, you know what? Her- I, I, I didn't think about it. I Yeah, I remember that that being mentioned, but I didn't think about how totally that just covers every retcon now. They're just like, yeah, this didn't make sense. Uh, it was Sprite's fault. What do mm-hmm. you expect? It had the powers of the Dreaming Celestial. Yeah. So that, that might also explain why... Um, or he literally explains, because I was complaining, well, why, you know, why are these people that were in space are now back, but they were finding others and all that good stuff. Um, and the explanation was, well, the this machine. <laughs> it started bringing them back. When, when Sprite reset everyone, he literally reset everyone on Earth. Which is stupid, and I kind of like it. Yeah, like, if you're going to solve the problem... Because in the 80s, they're like, we just need all of these Eternals that no one cares about to fuck off so people can stop saying, but why aren't the Eternals doing anything? Uh, and But now we're like, but, but we actually kind of like having the ability to have these other Eternals just kind of show up. So this solves that. The the we and the people you were referring to, I'm like, I don't know who these different groups are. Whoever's writing into the letters columns. Are you reading every letters column? Well, the ones that show up, they don't, when you get to modern times, they don't always reprint them on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we got Crow. We, we got his fun glasses, actually. We do. I missed his friend glasses. I cannot believe what a crow journey I've been on. I can't believe that I forgot crow was actually in this after just saying, oh yeah, there's no crow in this. He does so little. Yeah, he does so little. He does have his beautiful pointy eyes. Yep. Uh, They beat up Tutanax. I love Tutanax. It's such fun to say. Tutanax? Tutanax. Yeah, it is fun to say. Um, Gar is back in, in charge again, but like... Oh, we will be talking about Gar a bunch. Oh, yeah. But that's what's so interesting about this. And even if, like, the story itself, I think, is as dull as dishwater. And the while I really do like Steven Segova's art, it's, uh, well, very cheesecakey. Yeah. Very latexy. And, you know, I appreciate the, the, the solidness of the draftsmanship. You know, you look at a character and you're like, oh, yeah, if I punched that, I would break my hand. Instead of, oh, that's definitely paper. Uh, yeah, the, and the clothes don't look like painted on. But I'll tell you, the, where they kind of lost me is towards the end, they make the swerve to the Savage Land. Oh my god, right? <laughs> and I was just like, and when they, when you're going to the Savage Land in the 11th hour, that is when you have run out of ideas. Like, I don't yeah. know, uh, I guess if we put some dinosaurs in the background, they'll, for, they won't notice that this isn't about anything. Yeah. So for those who haven't read it, the basic premise is... Asgard's destroyed. Eresh Kigal is like, I want to get power back. Find some magic orb that was in Thor's ruins. And Thor is trying to get this orb back that has the power to erase reality because it came from another dimension or some sci-fi bullshit. Uh, and then we get a bunch of fights for, for five issues between different Eternals and Thor. And, you know, they're, they're well-drawn fights. They don't have much, you know, behind Substance. them. Yeah. Well, because the Eternals' motivation is so shallow that, like, like uh, you can watch the movie Creed with, like, anybody, and they will understand the emotions at play. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, like, oh, he's fighting for his dad, and he, and 
now he's got this, uh, like, uncle figure. And with these fights, I just, like, I don't know why they're fighting. They're fighting because they gotta, I guess. Yeah. The one scene that really did get me was mm-hmm. when um, Philip Stoss, Fastos's wife, um, what was her name? Gretel. Gretel Stoss uh, is, like, just in the kitchen, and then she thinks she sees her husband runs outside and is just like, where did you go? She's distraught. I'm like, that's the kind of interesting memory loss, but now getting your memory back drama that we should have been focusing on. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And no one likes anyone else's idea and they all drop them and then we get the soup. Yep, we get the soup and then we bring back Gar and Ransack all the time. Every time. Carcass is great, but he always has to come back with Ransack and it sucks. I don't that you know ransack is uh is like a dollar store or whatever, but I don't hate ransack as much as you hate ransack. Ransack is ruining my day. It's because he always gets to overshadow carcass. Yeah, I want but more that's carcass. The, I want more carcass too. You know who they should they should team up with Blastar. That would be an unstoppable gang. Ooh, carcass ransack and Blastar. That would be a fun dynamic. Yeah, I think they would be really loyal to Blastar. I think Blastar would love his little boys. I think it would be just like if you're a wrestling fan, which Elias is not, but he's watched a little with me. The Brawling Brutes. Mm-hmm. Just like, they'd be like three space drunken Brits getting into fights. Yep. Yeah. I don't have much more to say about this other than it is kind of also pretty paternalistic. Yeah. And again, we're going to touch upon my Zurus feelings of it all in a moment. But do you want to talk about Jason Aaron Avengers? Because that's actually yes. really interesting. Oh, right. And so at the end of uh, this series, the Unimind shows back up again. Uh, and all of the, the Eternals return to Earth. Oh, right. Because there was... Sorry. The, I had forgotten. The, throughout the series, they're like, well, why aren't all the Eternals here? Why is it just, you know, Viraco and, and Icarus and Fastos? And they're like, oh, well, because all the other Eternals that were brought back on Earth, they went off into space again to figure out what they should do. And then they decided, you know what? Earth is where we should be the eternals constantly are um like realizing they forgot their keys and coming home and then realizing they forgot <laughs> something else and coming home except like across the universe yep so they're home jason aaron avengers oh boy yeah he takes so, a big swing in the first arc he really takes a big swing in the first arc and um i remember a couple years ago marvel was pushing this really hard as um, like a definitive Avengers run, this is going to be like a... Con- and now I feel like they've completely turned around on that. Yeah, I don't think it's a definitive Avengers run, but it's, you know, it's pretty okay. I think, who was it? It might have been Ritesh over at uh, Comic Book Herald who was like, Jason Aaron is trying to do what Scott Snyder was doing over with the Justice League, uh, which is what Grant Morrison was doing with the JLA every book and event and it's all you know in, important and, and meaningful to the marvel universe as big as you can get yeah and the problem is that it's so siloed off that like when uh everyone in the world gets turned into uh what's something that everyone in the world got turned into at one point when there's like the, a giant uh inter Knight. oh yeah when everyone gets turned into moon knight <laughs> or something um, Khonshu, that's what it was yeah, there was the Age of Contra. I was thinking uh, when they were having war with the vampires and also Atlantis. Oh, yeah. And that was like in this intercontinental like superhero warfare that nobody else seems to remember or notice. People are just asking why Namor isn't coming to Krakoa. 
not yeah. why he's waging war on the United States of America. Exactly. Uh, but before we get into the story of this issue, you want to give us the credits. Yes. So this was written, this is uh, Avengers number four from 2018, uh, written by Jason Aaron, penciled by Paco Medina and Ed McGuinness, inked by Juan Velasco and uh, Mark Morales, and colored by David Curiel, uh, and lettered by Corey Petit. Yeah, and this book is from 2018, so uh, it's pretty stylistically modern. And um, like you said, so Jason Aaron is just like... One thing I like about Jason Aaron is that he really goes high concept with everything. He thinks of his, like, he tries to throw out a big idea. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I like about Jason Aaron, and both of these skills I think are on display in this issue and this run, is um, when he just, like, really zooms in on, like, a particular piece of, like, weirdness in the superhero universe like he'll talk about a piece of technology or like how a space gun works for like a whole page or um like how this cult has been operating and i just i really like his um i think it's a good tone for marvel specifically because it's really out there high sci-fi in the clouds but like the people react to it in very human ways world outside your window and all that yeah yeah it's good character. He does good character work. Yeah, and I like his and his character work was great um, throughout, even if it was siloed off and kind of weird. Yeah, and even even when he makes really weird swings. But I guess let's focus in on this art for a couple cough, of reasons. She-Hulk, so, cough. <laughs> oh yeah, I did not like that. That She-Hulk swing is actually when I stopped reading it month to month. Yeah. Um. Although I've dipped in and out since then. So um, this is the run that introduces the Avengers one million BC. Yeah, I I still don't I still don't jive with that concept. No, cuz I kind of dig it. I don't know, it just feels reductive in a way that is hard for me to articulate just because it it I don't love that it's this like inevitable continuity of things. I don't know. I don't know why I don't like it. I th- I think that the, inevitably it's going to look like a continuity of things because like they keep on filling up their universe with stories yeah and like the you know identities get passed down and stuff like um in another run that we'll be touching upon today um the incredible hercules there's a whole part where uh athena teaches a bunch of superheroes about like their totemic powers Mm -hmm. and how spider-man is not just a spider but he's also a trickster like anansi and other spider gods oh yeah that's that's a, a big part of the jms run too yeah and Morland does show up in hercules Ooh, see, now you're selling me on this book. Oh, you, Elias, Hercules will be your favorite book you've ever read from Marvel. Oh, Hercules I'm sure. I, is exactly your sweet spot. <laughs> it, it's like, uh, and by by your guys who, um, Modox 11 and that Taskmaster series, it's like around, those guys around that time. Mm, that's good. But I, I, I just, I kind of like the idea that like these archetypes repeat and they've already set up so many of these superpowers as being something that gets inherited, like the Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. That going back and showing, like, an Iron Fist in Caveman times is kind of cool. And, like, there's so many spirits of vengeance now, right? There's uh, Johnny and Danny and Alejandra and, like, 16 others that I'm not naming. The Cowboy one and Robbie. Oh, yeah, the, the Cowboy one. Yeah, I'm sure he has a name, right? But, like, there's already a continuity of like ghost riders going back so eventually yeah one of them would be a caveman okay okay am i selling you on this enough because he does pick like archetypes and then odin yeah odin because he's immortal and but he's like uh, this is like young virile disgusting odin yeah yeah 
He's such and a at creep. least it's not like there's a there's a one million BC Iron Man. Although there kind of is at one point in this run. Well, yeah, but that's literally Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, that's time traveling Iron Man. But that part's fun. That it's fun yeah. when he makes his caveman Iron Man suit. Yep. So how does this all tie into the Eternals? Well, <laughs> right, the Eternals right. show up and they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, the real way that this uh, is about the Eternals is that it's about the Celestials. Yes. And I think that this is probably one of the most successful things of making the Celestials like an important central part of uh, another superhero's comic. Yeah, and it's pulling from all of the weird retcons throughout the years and kind of making them work. Like the Horde, they're back. So this is the same the same horde, yeah? Yes. I think it Yeah, 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 yeah. He's kind of doing a bit of a retcon on what the horde is because Yeah, okay. Because it's, you know, disconnecting it from the fulcrum and cosmic balance and turning the horde into kind of like, you know, the maggots that eat the celestials. Yeah, and um the most important thing is that the Avengers make their headquarters in a celestial. They call it Avengers Mountain. Yeah. It's really oh, and, striking imagery. Mm-hmm. He's also retconning basically the entirety of the celestial mythology on Earth. Yes. By uh, by turning, instead of humans being the third, you know, you had Eternals, you had Deviants, and you had humans. Humans were kind of a, in this explanation, an unexpected byproduct of this dying celestial on Earth. And then what they also uh, tied together nicely here... Is mm-hmm. that um, the the first host, the second host, whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, the second host was the biblical flood, right? Yes, um, and that ties into like a bunch of other Marvel stuff that's touched on Bible stuff and Noah's mm-hmm. Ark and the century, right? The the century and the void were back in Bible times. Uh, you would know better than me on that one. Well, just I that it. Uh, Jason Aaron is actually doing a very neat job at um, assembling the interesting parts of that continuity and he also sets up the he sets up Judgment Day like uh, the the final judgment mm-hmm. of Earth and the Celestials doing that like uh, it all gets foreshadowed here and it's kind of funny that uh, when that did come around he had little to do with the main book yeah but I, I think that was more of someone picking up on something that he was putting down because Jason Aaron is very good at that. He's like, I have these elements. I don't really want to touch them right now. I'm going to leave them mysterious. Like he did with the all black, the Necro sword. He's like, I don't really care what the origins are. Someone else can pick that up. And then Donnie Cates did. Yeah. And actually wrote one of the funnest Donnie Cates things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that about Aaron. He's willing to he knows how to work in the shared superhero universe of there are things you don't really need answered. Uh, and he's like, I'm okay with someone else answering those things. Well, and it's, it's fun to have like a really long-term mystery. Like uh, Wolverine had a mysterious past until he didn't. And now there's a lot of interesting stories about like uh, tied to Wolverine's messed up origin being from like a pampered fancy boy from rural Vancouver. That That is fun. British Columbia. But right, but like, there's been fun uh, um, when Omega Red was like rampaging through his birth. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was Professor X's birth. Uh, but that that whole yeah. that whole flashback took place with like with like young Wolverine, and we couldn't have gotten that if we just left him mysterious forever. That's true. That's true. I think that the big success of this story for me, it doesn't do much for the Eternals at all. But no, nothing. But, um, the Guardians of the Galaxy already lived in a severed celestial head floating through space. So it's really cool that the Avengers are now living in this like hollowed out celestial corpse mm-hmm. that that's like frozen. 
it's like a it's a cool place to have a headquarters. There's a hot there's like a jacuzzi in there, and uh, and they have like a cool like super villain uh, prison thing with like laser fences. Just like um, and it's all different parts of the celestial. And now I I think that's like a really cool secret base that the Avengers had, and I will remember that as their headquarters. And that's the most central image of any of this uh, Eternal stuff to any other Marvel character, right? And I guess mm-hmm. Gilgamesh and Hercules and Thor are all buds. Mm, they but are. Not this they one. Are. Um, I was trying uh, to say, I'm like, because Icarus makes some mention of the Unimind, but I don't remember them forming a Unimind. Oh, no, I think they do. I think they merge at the end of issue six. The yeah, Unimind yeah, is they not... Form, they form a Unimind. <laughs> the Unimind is not a thing. <laughs> no, the Unimind is not a thing. God, I, I, the, I, this whole time I've trying to figure out what the Unimind is. Nobody knows. It's not. No one knows. So, do you do you want to move on to the to the next one or, or take a bit of a break? I want to take a break. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back. We are talking Eternals. Eternals. Just so many Eternals. Just, yeah, every little Eternals bit. Every little Eternals bit. Um, we just finished talking about Jason Aaron's Avengers, where the Eternals show up, promptly die, and then uh, are not seen again. But we have a lot of fun Celestial stuff. And now we get to show up in an issue where the Eternals are everywhere, with Eternals Forever. Um, what's weird about this one mm-hmm. is that is that it's just like such a superhero comic. Yeah. So we've reached the era, or at least the, this and the next comic we're talking about are coming out concurrent with Kieran Gillen's run. Eternals Forever comes out after issue eight of the Eternals, okay. but is set, I think, during like the golden age of the Eternals, if you could call it that. You know, <laughs> I guess pre pre all of the messy retcons back, well, back when I think Ralph Macchio was working as an editor. Yeah, I guess that you, I remember we talked about this at one point. He was definitely, for some of the later stuff, working as an editor. Yeah. So this is, you know, and it's, it, it could really slot in anywhere before uh, Neil Gaiman's Eternals, or hell, even before Cersei joins the uh, the Avengers. Well, Cersei doesn't show up in this, so it could be at any time. You know what? I didn't even I didn't even note her absence. Yeah, at any time she's dirt, she's with the uh, Celestials. But it came out in two thousand in twenty twenty one, and it was written by Ralph Macchio. Uh, it was illustrated by Ramon F. Box, uh, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg. And lettered by Joe Par- Caramagna. Uh, yeah, we are fully in the modern era. And yeah, oh, yeah, as I said, I thought this was a pretty okay, like, superhero comic of just, like, there's a superhero conflict and there's a villain and we gotta fight them. Yeah, it was, when I first read it, I was, it, the problem with Eternals Forever is, it came out while Karen Gillan's Eternals were coming out. And just reading this, neck 
coming off of that and I went wow that was dull but now reading it on its own I'm like no that was a pretty pretty okay superhero one shot it did what it needed to do it was just overloaded with um, exposition about all these characters because you need to reintroduce them to people who have no idea who they are or have any reason to care yeah uh, and it's not done particularly cleanly. No, and um, so Icarus is made mainly the villain in this one. I would say, would you? Right? Unwittingly, but yes. But a lot of it is just Icarus versus Sprite and Gilgamesh. Um, and... is it? No, no, no. He's fighting the the deviants that are invading the the city. He doesn't really fight anyone. He's because he had his uh, he basically had a GPS implanted in his head after being abducted by Gower Gore. I'm Gaur. so surprised at how much play Gower has been getting. Why do people like this man? I, maybe it's a cool... The name is pretty cool. The design is not that cool. No. Like, come on, get a new guy from the, the Deviants. You have so many Deviants. You killed off the Great Toad because he kind of stunk. And we all know that Crow is too cool to have in a like truly villainous role. Yeah, you can think of someone else. I stop making the Deviants bad guys is what I'm saying. It's weird. It's weird. And it keeps being weird. Yeah, it has never not been weird and it continues to be weird. Like, it's they're always mean to the Deviants. But when we hang out with the Deviants, the Deviants are always the best. Yeah. Like, Jack Kirby started to recognize that by the end of his run. Yeah, and then he left. And then that's not where we picked it up. And so I think at, by the end of this episode, my theme of these books is that um, mostly they uh, place... The Eternals are like boring assholes who get in the way and the deviants are just like lose all characterization when they're in someone else's book and just become like a very generic villain yeah which is still so weird because the second eternal series that we read did by far the best job of kind of making the deviants nuanced in that way and that's where gaur shows up as the villain like we got that was the most play we saw and the most we we got to experience the the totality of deviant society. Yeah, I, you know, and it helps that I read the Kieran stuff before a lot of this. Uh, we read a lot of this because it makes their uh, it makes Lemuria, which we will be discussing. Actually, you want to talk about Lemuria? Sure. Yeah, this seems like as good a place as any. Yeah. So I was looking into it. What do you know about Lemuria? I know that Lemuria, Lemuria, Lemuria. L- lemon, yeah, lemon, get... lemon more. Give me, give me more lemons. Um, the the land is, is supposedly one of the lost continents, like Atlantis. Yeah, so that's about all I know of it. So I would, I looked into this, and it turns out that this was like a real scientific theory held for a long time, based on false ideas about tectonic plates and fossils, and a nice dose of racism. A lot of racism, and it specifically had a bunch to do with lemurs. And like, what? Uh, where because there's lemur lemurs in Madagascar, but not out, not nearby. Uh huh. And maybe they evolved on another continent. It's it, not oh very uh, based in. It, it gets disproven, but it's like weirdly an idea for a long time. Oh my god, I can't believe that's where the name came from. And I encountered in a lot of contemporary pulp style stuff. You know, like uh-huh. the shadow and uh, Hellboy and. Yeah, uh, going back to that style, they really like to invoke Lemuria. Yeah, and Thule, as I see on this this map. Right, so this map that I uh, posted here is from a Conan comic, because... Um, oh, yeah. In the Marvel Universe, 
Those Avengers existed in 1 million BC, but in 50,000 BC, Conan the Barbarian was wandering the earth. And there's just like a whole lost history of the Hyborian Age. Yes. Right. And, and I realized this is what ties everything together. Lemuria was, um, so I, 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 I dug really deep into this and I put together everything that we've learned so far. And mm-hmm. Lemuria was where the deviants settled and enslaved the humans who lived there. But uh, they all get wiped out when the second flood happens because that's the second host of the Celestials. Yes. Um, and that's what sinks Lemuria. And that's when the Atlanteans find it or the Homo Mermanus, I guess, and become the Lemurians. And then they're fighting the Deviants for it. And that's where, when we catch up to like present day books we've been reading. Oh. It just turns out that Lemuria is actually a more interesting connection to different parts of Marvel than almost any aspect of this. Yeah. And what's also fun is that really tracks for the Hyborian Age. For, like, Conan comics, that's yeah. great. Yeah, that's that per- that's totally, like, in the genre and vibes. And fitting Eternal stuff into that is a fun thing that Marvel can do whenever they get Conan back. <laughs> you th- See, we gotta wait for it to, to enter the public domain fully. Oh, that would be crazy. Imagine that. Yeah, then they could. Some of his it- stories are, and I think the character is. I don't think the, the character name. is. I don't think the name is. Oh, maybe... Maybe you're right. Whatever it is. Do you want to, uh, we got one more comic that we're going to like seriously consider here. Yes. So this, well, we say seriously, but it's the one that has the most, the second most stuff going on. Uh, and well, third most, uh, symbiote Spider-Man crossroads specifically number four through five. Um, it's written by Peter David, penciled by Greg Land, inked by Jay Lyston, colored by Frank D'Armada, and lettered by Joe Sabino. That's a real uh, old man creative team right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Frank Frank, and Joe always turning out good stuff. Jay is always working with Greg Land, and I don't know why. Uh, I know you have a soft spot for Peter David, and he's turned in a lot of Marvel stuff. A lot of g- good Marvel stuff and a bunch of bad Marvel stuff. Um, yeah, this would be. And he's had long his personal, and... uh, his personal foibles and racist comments. Yeah, we've talked about this on the air, haven't we? Yeah, it was like a couple years ago. Yeah, but... well, uh, Peter David's a complicated guy. He's still doing books, and um, I think interestingly, he... most of his books are stuff set in his previous timelines, like previous stories he's worked on, set in like the eighties. Yeah, um, uh, some have been better than others. Yeah. And most of them have been with fucking Greg Land. Is that true? I believe that. I don't remember if the Hulk stuff was, but definitely all the symbiote Spider-Man stuff has been. It's been a nightmare to read. I don't know why I do it. I don't know why you do it either. Uh, Symbiote Spider-Man takes place during the black costume era of Spider-Man in the late 80s. Yep. Why were they doing this book when they were doing this book? This is what I could not figure out. I think they just wanted to give Peter Land, Pete Land something. Pete Land. Pete, <laughs> Pete and Land. Pete and Land. I think they just wanted to give him something to do. He had stories to tell, and he's like, I can do a fun romp that's five issues, and you'll get the older crowd. Um, I think someone had asked Tom Brevort this in his in his newsletter, and he he answered it, but I don't remember what the answer was, other than, you know, it sells well, it sells enough, and because it's somewhat out of continuity and you know he's able to fit it in because he was doing those runs he can kind of slip it into a corner um all that stuff well so so to me the appeal of doing a project like that is that um that old timer is gonna have insight into the 
the story's back way back. Yeah. I there was what how did you feel about Peter David and Greg Lynn's insight on the Eternals as a concept? Um Pew Pew Hulk strongest there is. Yeah, exactly. Right. This was just like a so I realized reading this and uh that the big red flag for me is all the best Eternals comics we read completely marginalize or forget about Zurus. Hmm. And, and the even second Crow is here you know, he doesn't get to do much. He's, he's a bit of a, he helps. He helps a little. Yeah. But the, the deviants are again, just like the bad guys. They're just these like chaotic blob monster people. Yeah. And, um, and like Spider-Man is teaming up with, uh, with the Eternals and they're all just like the most boring cartoon version of themselves. I can't distinguish between any of their personalities and like Carnilla's generic evil. No, so I was gonna say, except for Carnilla, who's actually uh, she's a Thor villain, and I like Carnilla as a bad guy. I think that having Car- you know, Carnilla versus Spider Man's a fun odd odd hero matchup. It is. I I guess I don't like Carnilla as a villain. I think Carnilla's fine. I Carnilla was the highlight of these issues for me, so that tells you uh, how excited I was. Fair, fair. Yeah, it doesn't help that everyone looks like someone took their action figures and then lined them up in front of like a paper background and just kept moving them. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Land. Um, I, I, I've said this, uh, someone in the industry once told me Greg Land gets work because Greg Land turns in work on time. You know, that's half the battle. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard to do. There's one thing that Straczynski taught me. He's like, if there's one thing you do is when you say you'll turn something in, turn it in, be that guy. You'll always have work. Yeah, and uh, they can hire Greg Land in a pinch, and, and he can get the books to print, I guess. I guess. Uh, he drew one really good issue one time. It had Colossus in it. This was not one of them. Yeah, this was not one of them. Uh, yeah, so I felt like the Eternals completely muddled what this comic, the fun potential fun of this comic. Like, Spider-Man in the 80s when he's like exploring darker themes in his books or whatever, mm-hmm. combined with the Eternals, just like added up to a big fat nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Can't even can't even justify it. I, I was like trying to think of a pitch and I can't it's like a hard thing to pitch for, so I don't I, I don't cast huge judgment that they did not succeed, but like then why? What are we doing? Yeah, it didn't help that we jumped in on issues four and five, but honestly, I have read issues one through three. We miss nothing. We miss absolutely nothing. Yeah, I didn't read them. Yeah. No pretty pointless so let's let's move on to something that's not so pointless with the incredible hercules did you read this issue i did did are you like very interested in reading this whole series because it's totally your shit i am it was so much fun it's so fun this i love this run this is one of my favorite marvel runs of all time so the incredible hercules this issue is set it came out and was set in between Ish, uh, the Eternals by Gaiman and JRJR, and then Eternals Volume 4. So the Celestial, the Dreaming Celestial is, is alive and big and in San Francisco, uh, and then we have a nice big punch em up between Hercules and uh, Icarus outside of the, the Celestial, and that's pretty much the issue, but it was a lot of fun as opposed to some of these other ones where I'm like, okay, that was a pretty nothing fight. Credits, though. This was written by Greg Pak and Fred Van Lenti, penciled by Rafa Sandoval, inked by Roger Bonet, or Bonet, I'm not sure, uh, colored by Martigad Gracia, which I think is Marte Gracia. I it's think gotta it's the same be. person. It's gotta be. Yeah. 
and lettered by Joe Caramagna. So yeah, killer creative team. Absolutely. Um, and killer issue. The thing I liked the most about this issue was that um, this was trying to make something of the Eternals concept of like, what if they were mixed up for the gods? Mm-hmm. And this is so funny because they literally have forgotten what Gilgamesh looks like because he's the forgotten one. So they're just like, hey, you're Gilgamesh, right? And Hercules is like, I certainly am not. And then they're just like, well, we're going to punch you until you remember that you're Gilgamesh, I guess. Yeah. And at first, you know, based on what happened in the first series, it it could have been. It could have I mean, been. It seems, unlike- it seems kind of unlikely in continuity at this point. True, but but for for a page or two, I was like, oh, maybe maybe Sprite did do that and just combined the two, <laughs> but but no, he's definitely Hercules. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of times when he gets mixed, but so just like I've never liked the idea of what if people mixed up the Eternals for like figures from mythology. Mm-hmm. But this it was done. There was like a hilarious case of mistaken identity here. Yeah. Um. Also, this sets up. There is a um run. A couple runs after this, which is um. They kind of have diminishing returns. This, they start off really strong and then they kind of uh, fizzle out. Although I like all of them in their own way. Okay. But at the at the very end, it, uh, Hercules and Gilgamesh are roommates and exes. <laughs> and that ends up being like a really fun dynamic. And I still, I think that the Hercules Gilgamesh as exes who sometimes live and work together and are like kind of codependent is one of the funnest dynamics any Eternals character has with any other Marvel character. That's great. Um, but that all started here in this issue. Wow. So incredible and Hercules horrific. Silver Surfer Annual was kind of a bop. Yeah. So this one we missed uh the incredible hercules we kind of missed but this one we like straight up just missed doing because it was part of the evolutionary war crossover which happened across a bunch of annuals in 1978 i think i should check the date um that's okay lightning round for these last ones lightning round uh the credits on this one though because you know old and this one had of all the rest of them the most substantial eternal stuff happened even though it was basically a one and done um, it was written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Joe Statton, inked by Joe Rubenstein, uh, colored by Tom Vincent, and lettered by Craig Anderson. Let's see, Silver uh, Surfer Annual. No, yeah. 1988. I'm sorry. Not to say, yeah, okay, that off. God. That makes more sense. I yeah. didn't want to correct you because I was wrong. Yeah, I was like, 78? That doesn't sound right. 88. Um, yeah, this was a fun freaking issue, huh? Yeah, we got we got all our all our favorite people and some of our least favorite, but Carcass is there and that's all that matters. Hell yeah. We got, we got Broody Silver Surfer. We got the Super Scroll. Uh who we kind of learned to love in the Guardians of the Galaxy run that we read. Mm-hmm. He has some some very silly looking panels here. Yeah. So this is Super Scroll's kind of a silly looking dude. He is, he is. But it, it was kind of nice going back to like a well constructed eighties comic. Yeah, this kind of, like, this era of the 80s has its charm, like, makes a real case for being the most charming run of comics. Like, there's a lot of really high-level stuff happening, especially in the artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got the pink. We got my favorite pink. So <laughs> much that, you, pink. You know who should be colored with that pink forever is um, Crow. Yes. That that shade of 80s comic coloring, uh, vertigo pink, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. That's what color Crow is. Yes. Yes, yes. So, I mean, do you want to go the basic premise of this issue, or nah? Yeah, hit, hit me. Uh, what do you... 
So the the high evolutionary comes to the Eternals because he's like, you know who you know what I need. I'd like some data on this Silver Surfer guy, and he makes some some argument, eugenics argument or whatever, because the high high evolutionary sucks. What's his real name again? Herbert Wyndham. Yeah, Herbert Wyndham. Fucking he does Herbert. Suck. I I kind of like him as a villain, but I I wouldn't yes. want to have lunch with him. No. So the but the Eternals are kind of convinced to to go up and be like, "Hey, hey Silver Surfer, you you and Super Scroll, come back to our our lab and we'll test you because the Super Scroll's a deviant or whatever of his people." So they're studying alien deviants. Uh and you know, they they want to study them. They because they're the Eternals, they kind of suck. Uh trap them both in these glass pyramids that they break out of. Uh, and then they had, and then Silver Surfer schools them in what it means to be, uh, to be human. But also, I think he he kind of makes the the argument that the Eternals didn't exist. What do you mean? Um, or that Olympia didn't exist? Um, I don't. There's this one panel where he's like, "I'm saying that I didn't just fly over Olympia in my years on Earth. I had time enough and world enough to walk upon all the lonely places on this planet. I meditated for two days once on the peak your city occupies." has occupied, according to you, for millennia, and it wasn't simply invisible. It wasn't there. I thought that was, like, um, him showing respect to their advanced technology. I guess. I don't know. I think... I, I guess the... I, I didn't know what to make of that. Um, but at the well, end, he's like... Unfortunately, like, <laughs> we're, like, ten retcons beyond it now. God, right? I think at this point... And then he's like... The Eternals are like, if you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. And he's like, cool, bye. Um, And it was just... Yeah, it was a well-constructed 80s comic... And it was good Silver Surfer just being like a sad boy. Yep. Which we love that. We are on the record as being Silver Surfer sad boy lovers. We do love a good Silver Surfer sad boy. Um, What else? Ooh, I'm starting to lose it. Uh, We're talking about this Pizza Hut comic. Did you find the Pizza Hut comic? No, I wasn't able to find the Pizza Hut comic. I found it on eBay for 10 bucks, but I did not buy it. Aww. But so, I mean, it's out there. You can find this comic. And um, I did find a summary of it uh, in the comments of the said eBay page. And someone listed the Eternals who show up in it. And Zurus is on it. So red flag. I'm not in. Yep. So this issue was called Real Heroes, number one. And it was a tie-in comic miniseries through Pizza Hut. Wild. Fucking wild. I remember the X-Men issue of this because I talk to X-Men people sometimes. <laughs> Real heroes. It's got the thing on the cover beating up Dramadan. That's why Zerus shows up, because Dramadan is there. Um, You're probably right. We will never know, because I will not spend $10 on eBay. No, not for that. Uh, we should actually touch on the original Atlantis Attacks, because that's where Gower, Gore comes back to life yeah which so that we had a question about that when we were reading it originally right yeah we weren't sure how much of the eternals were involved and then when when gar shows back up again as like a golden statue we're like wait what and there was a little helpful editorial box being like this happened in silver surfer annual number two or something uh which was part of atlantis attacks which was an event in the in 1989 that took place across a bunch of annuals just like evolutionary war um, there has been a more recent Atlantis Attacks, which was written by Greg Puck. Um, yeah, they they love recycling the titles these contemporary times. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know anything else about it, really. Um, this was, like, the highest profile Atuma ever got. And Who? I, I... Atuma? Who? He was in the Black Panther movie. Who? 
I don't know. I, I googled is Atuma in the MCU and I saw a picture of a hot blue guy. Oh, that guy. Okay, he is. Um, <laughs> I looked at a, I looked at a, an official Marvel handbook version. <laughs> what is that like? Eighty style? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was so he Atuma is like a real uh, central Atlantis Namor villain, and this was like the highest profile he ever got was in this comic where he was kind of the major villain. Yeah. And um, I we I should we should look more into this. I did not uh, have I did not get a chance to take a look at this one, but um, I think DC was doing something similar at the time, and that's kind of the interesting part of this of this crossover. Mm-hmm. There was something happening in Aquaman over at DC, and this was either a response to that or the other one was a response to this. Who knows? Um, I just that that part was interesting. Couldn't uh, couldn't tell you what the Eternals are up to here. No, neither neither could I. I also did not get a chance to glance at uh, Quasar number fifty one. Yeah, it was. Um, I had highlighted it because Icarus and I think some of the Eternals show up in the Star Blast event which happened in the pages of Quasar. I skimmed through 51. He's not, he's nowhere to be seen. Uh, even though the, the Marvel wiki is like, Oh yeah, he's in there. I'm like, you lie. You lie to me. Uh, yeah. That's the risk. When you use the wiki, sometimes there yeah. was, this was like a, li- I, I Googled this. This was like a living tribunal thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I also skipped it. This, I, I was actually thinking that this is really in- another, an interesting place to stick the Eternals. This made me realize was, um, the collector and the grandmaster and those like elders of the universe. Oh yeah. Just like, what if they were the leftover Eternals, uh, from their worlds that got destroyed to like hatch celestials or whatever. Ooh, stop. You're pitching good comics. <laughs> I, yeah, just like that's a, cause also those elders of the universe are fun, but like they don't make any sense and where they came from is weird. Mm-hmm. And they like how they're all so powerful and why they all hang out wouldn't make sense. But then you team up with the Eternals and suddenly the collector has all sorts of stuff going on with Gilgamesh and Star Fox. And now you got a stew going. Hmm. Uh, kind of chunky and probably funky stew, but a stew. Uh, carcass would eat it. <laughs> Ransack would eat it. He's got a stomach of steel. Did you look at the last two uh, weird things? Yes. So Fall of the Hulks, I read the uh, first issue, Fall of the Hulks Alpha, um, the Eternals show up for four pages when this group of villains invades uh, Olympia to steal a bunch of stuff. Um, this was written by... I'm just going to run through the credit on this issue real quick. Uh, it was written by Jeff Parker, penciled by Paul Pelletier, uh, inked by Vin, uh, Vincente Cifuentes, uh, colored by Guru FX, and lettered by Simon Boland. I like the art on this. Yeah, another killer creative team. Art team was great on this. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know Jack or Diddley about Fall of the Hulks, and I stopped caring once we got to Egghead. Excuse me? How dare you malign my boy Egghead? I don't know. I, I actually just stopped once the Eternals stopped showing up, because I'm like, well, I gotta move on. I have, like, 30 other issues I need to skim through to see if it's meaningful. Uh, Do you know about the Intelligentsia? No, I actually don't. Oh, well, so this this run, this part of the Jeff Parker run, is all about the Intelligentsia. And this is a fun hook for a, a Hulk story. Um, the Intelligentsia is a villain team made up of Samuel Stearns, the leader, Ivan Kragoff, the Red Ghost, who's the guy with, like, a bunch of monkeys for sidekicks, <laughs> uh, the Wizard from uh, <clears throat> Fantastic Four, the Mad Thinker from Spider-Man, 
uh, Egghead, who's like an Ant-Man villain mostly, and Modok, but now Modok is bald and has giant terrifying spider legs coming out of his ears. Ooh, do not like that. It's scary and I love it. And basically they want to be the smartest guys on Earth and their evil plan is more or less to fly around through time and space like sending intelligence zapping beams at different geniuses to like steal their smarts okay and a lot of wacky stuff happens and there's ups and downs but it really plays with um bruce banner as the smart one and hulk as the dumb one because of this like intelligence swapping technology oh okay so it's a fun hook and they're like a terrible bickering villain team and i think the leader has been scary a bunch of times and Modok is the scariest member of the team here, but otherwise these guys are all like B to Z listers, right? Egghead. Yeah, Egghead is like a terrible Z lister. Egghead and Stiltman probably are drinking buddies. Mm. Stiltman's um, gotten a bit of a, a facelift though recently. Egghead's time will come. You mark my words. <laughs> if we can get Nanny and Orphan Maker to this <laughs> I, prominence, yeah. yeah, Egghead is ready for the Nanny Orphan Maker uh, redo. Um, but the funnest part of the intelligentsia is when they target Dr. Doom and Dr. Doom becomes stupid. Uh. <laughs> and so he's got to team up with Hulk and that's the funnest part of the run. Okay. 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 And uh, yeah, it's just like, I recommend this run. Jeff Parker, um, has a lot more when, by the time follow the Hulks and the intelligentsia stuff is happening, Jeff Parker's gotten to shift away from the red Hulk nonsense and put more of his stamp on the book. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So I would recommend this. Um, the eternal stuff is nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Honestly, it was because it was they had a time travel story, and the, to show the Eternals are immortal, they still existed even way back then. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And similar to actually what happens in the last one, which is there were I want to say th- three issues, four issues of all new invaders that had um, the Eternals show up. Mostly, it was Icarus and Makari. So, not really, but there were, I th- I would count there were enough panels of enough Eternals. Well, I, I don't know how much of this you read, Elias, but I got really hooked and I'd Stone Cold Rules and I read a lot of it. Ooh. So, it was written by James Robinson. Uh, Hell yeah. Illustrated by uh, Steve Pugh, uh, colored by Gru FX, and lettered by Corey Petit. I think it's pronounced Steve Pugh. If, if Florence Pugh is pronounced that way. <laughs> it's spelled the same. It's spelled the same. Um... Steve Pugh is, I love his art across all of the many years from Animal Man in the 80s to the Flintstones. He does good good work here. Um, yes, and uh, yeah, this comic looks good. Uh, it's like really underrated as uh, James Robinson books go. Yeah, it's only 15 issues. Um, issues three through five are the ones that feature feature uh, the Eternals. Uh, they, it's basically a beat em up with Icarus and then Issue 13 is Makari having, like, an existential crisis, I guess. Well, so th- this entire run is about the um, the Marvel heroes that are World War II vets uh, find out about this evil Kree superweapon slash alien artifact that they saved the Earth from back in World War II that they're, like, reuniting to oppose. Mm-hmm. And the long and short of it is that it's all uh, the uh, the Pursuers are really involved, Ronan being the most famous of the Pursuers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tanlanth, the pursuer, is trying to get her hands on this relic, which is like a mind control thing. And so the Eternals are mostly in the story because Tanlanth is mind controlling them to be meat puppets to fight Captain America and Winter Soldier and Namor 
and original Human Torch. Which took me a bit to also, once again, remember, oh yeah, Jim Hammond is here. He's the protagonist of this, and that's part of the reason why it's so good, is it really grounds him in his feelings in like how he's reacted to seeing this changing world mm-hmm. it, james robinson like puts a lot of depth into all his writing and he's done a bunch of like marvel work for hire that has stupid titles like all new invaders that no one's ever gonna read yeah but like robinson is a mark of maybe you should check this out and i think most of his work is actually excellent i'm sure there are the duds but i can't think of any at the at the moment i like that scarlet wish that he did but you do not no no I do not like that run. Not yeah. one bit. And I, I, I accept your criticism of that one. It's not a perfect run, but I like it. Yep. Anyway, we're, we're going off into James Robinson town, but um, I thought this was great. And it, the Eternals were chumps, but whatever. It was great comics about characters that were good. Yeah. There were two other issues that uh, I just didn't pay attention to. One was the original Contest of Champions. The Eternals are there. They're in the background. And then uh, Fantastic Four Unlimited number 10 from the 90s. It was a one-off adventure with the Fantastic Four and the Eternals, but it's not on Marvel Unlimited. I can't find a description of it, and I didn't look too hard into it. But it's there. I'm sure it has little, little impact. Yeah, I couldn't... That just wasn't available. I looked for it as well. Yeah. So Um, that... Catches us up. Oh, my God. Elias, are we done with Eternals? We'll never talk about Eternals again? No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jaina. We still have have two more episodes, at least, of Eternals stuff to go. Because first, we have a movie. And then second, we got to get to the long-talked-about, long-foreshadowed Kieran Gillen run of Eternals, which we will detail next time. But first, we have to watch... Eternals, the movie, which came out in 2021 and was directed by Chloe Zhao. Yeah, let's go watch that movie real quick and we'll be back to tell you guys about it in like a couple weeks. Yeah. So uh, until then, though, where can they find you, Jaina, on that larger interweb? You can mostly find me publishing on multiversitycomics.com, a pretty great website. Um, And my social handle is usually uh, at rambling underscore moose. What about you, Elias? Uh, I, I mean, I think I still have a Twitter. Uh, it's on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q U E T Z E L I S H. As long as the infrastructure has not completely exploded, I get emails when I get direct messages or pings. Um, but who knows? Who knows anymore? Uh, the best way to, to contact me if you want is, is my email, which is erosner at multiversitycomics.com. Uh. Excelsior, I'm tired, man. Yeah, I can hear it. (laughs) 